to the BCMA Podcast. I'm your host, Lorenda Calvert. Today, we're talking about the inspiring Museum Educators Bursary supporting professional development opportunities for museum educators working in the arts, culture, and heritage sector. Established with the support of Dr. Lisa McIntosh in 2023, this bursary encourages the pursuit of excellence in education within the museum, gallery, and heritage sector. Join us as we chat with Dr. Lisa McIntosh. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining me. Do you mind sharing a bit about yourself? Happy to, Lorinda, and thanks for uh, having this conversation with me. So I've been working as a museum educator for about 35 years, which I find hard to believe. Uh, And I started like many of uh, those of us in the field with a love for the content. And I started working as an interpreter at the aquarium. It was really exciting. I got to talk about fish, uh, made my day. Uh, But as I was doing that, I realized what I really loved was the process of teaching. And uh, from my time at the aquarium, I've also worked at the uh, Vancouver Maritime Museum and at the H.R. McMillan Space Center. Uh, While I was doing uh, my work as an educator in museums, I was also working with other uh, organizations around the province, helping them um, in their staff training, really focused on museum educators and interpreters. And what I'm doing now is uh, working as a sessional lecturer at UBC as part of their Master of Museum Education program. And I've been doing that for over a decade. Uh, and got to actually help develop the program as part of uh, my work as a graduate student. Um, Which is actually how I know you. Uh, I knew you actually before the Masters of Museum Education program at UBC, but that's where I really got to know you. Um, Because I met you through, you didn't even touch on Field Trip Fair. Um, I know you through Field Trip Fair. I know you through your work with the Lower Mainland Museum Educators, which I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar um, with and now that spawned the Vancouver Island Museum Educators and the Lower Mainland Curators Group. Um, I feel like I've known you for the entirety of my career in this sector um, and that you have been uh, like a, a mentor and guidance in what museum education can Because um, I, I fell in love with the, the people aspect of museums when I was doing my internship at the Richmond Museum. And that led me directly into the Masters in Museum Education program, which led me into my career, which brings me to my work now at the BCMA and the work that I continue to do with the Lower Mainland Museum Educators and the Vancouver Island Museum Educators. Um, So I can look at my career and I can see you in so many parts of it as well. So I'm so so delighted that you're here for this podcast um, because I, yeah, I feel like my career is, is is your career. It's part of it. Well, and, and you are a big part of my career, and that's, you know, having worked in this field and in this region for a long time, I've had that privilege of actually working with a lot of educators. And that's mm-hmm. the part that I find really exciting is watching people, whether it's through the Masters of Museum Education program or, you know, working with them through Lower Mainland Museum Educators, even going way back to the earlier part of my career when I, I was uh, involved with Interpretation Canada, looking mm-hmm. at Uh, how educators I've worked with in a whole bunch of different ways have gone on and continue to kind of push and grow uh, what we do as museum educators. Mm -hmm. 
So when we talk about museum education, the term that I used when we were doing our master's was uh, informal educator or informal education. For those that are listening that aren't familiar with that term or what that might mean, can you tell us what informal education is? That, great question. And if you've got, you know, a couple of months, we can talk through the whole thing. Uh, just kidding. So informal education, I think one of the easy ways of thinking about it for me, the way I do anyway, is I think it's really in contrast to that formal education. So if we think of uh, we go through K to 12 or maybe K through 12 through then into university as the formal system of education, education that is um, uh, overseen by, uh, in some ways, government bodies. There's a curriculum set through the government, you know, those sorts of things. Um, the other, the flip side of that is that informal learning, those opportunities to in learn informally. And what I think is so exciting is if you think about the small amount of time you spend in school compared to the rest of the time you have to learn, that's where that informal education or informal learning comes. I always uh, view myself when, whenever I have to write a little bio for a speaker opportunity or if I'm looking at my LinkedIn, I really feel strongly about including, um, you know, Lorenda Calvert is passionate about lifelong learning. And that's when, when I think about informal education, I think about that same point that it's, uh, it's learning outside of the formal classroom and it's that life, life experience and lifetime of learning. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about more recently, and I think um, this past fall I taught uh, learning in informal settings for science education teachers. And a lot of our conversation was around looking at the learning ecosystem. So in that course, one of the things I was trying to do is help teachers think about their student, students learning outside of the classroom. And I found by framing this uh, as part of a learning ecosystem, I think it really, it, um, really help them understand the play between learning in a classroom and learning uh, outside of the classroom in a science center or a museum or a park or listening to a podcast. And then um, really helping as teachers or as museum educators or informal educators, helping learners find ways to really make those connections in their learning ecosystem, their school, their community, their family. I think that really kind of frames it as a it, it is part of our lifelong and lifeline life wide work learning. I love because that that ties into I really wanted to ask you um, an important part of helping people learn is our own professional learning as educators. Um, what kinds of professional development have you found valuable and what are those drivers when we're seeking professional development? Uh, that's a great question, and it's one that I, I spend quite a lot of time thinking about. And again, if going back to kind of the early part of my career when I was a you know an emerging uh, museum educator, uh, part of the learning I found uh, that really helped me a lot was doing things like volunteering with professional organizations. So I started uh, volunteering to help Interpretation Canada. Um, plan their conferences, do workshops, run the organization. And I found from that experience, I learned a lot about how does an organization run? How do other people think about learning? I had a chance to work with some fabulous educators and learn more on, in a mentor-mentee um, relationship. So I found those really valuable kinds of professional development. And then the other kinds that, you know, the things that maybe look more like traditional present, uh, professional learning, going to a conference, um, uh, my first boss at the aquarium said, yes, I could go to a conference, but I had to present. 
I couldn't just go. And I found oh, that oh. was a very uh, scary, it was really scary, because uh, mm. I had never presented at a conference before, uh, but really valuable, because again, I think as educators, sometimes we think we may not have something to share, but we really do. And so by sharing what I was uh, doing in my practice at the aquarium at that time, I think it really helped me um, think more deeply about it, shared it with others. And then that also launched in more great conversations about uh, my practice and how others thought about it at the conference. Uh, so, you know, those are some kind of uh, great uh, professional learning opportunities. And then again, uh, you know, going back to school, and I've had the chance to, uh, I did my master's at UBC, had a, a chance to work with uh, a professor there who focused on science learning, learning in museums, which at that time was uh, pretty unique. Uh, had that chance to think really deeply about what I was doing. And I, I went, the trigger for that uh, to go and do my master's was really around I was teaching people to teach. I was uh, working in a gallery, uh, aquarium gallery setting as an educator. And I, it felt like it was working, but I had no idea why. So that initial curiosity about what is the theory behind what we do as educators was what really drove me um, to do my master's. Um, I can't tell if my story is, this, is so similar to yours because you took such a mentor role in my um, career development, or if we just might be that similar as as people, um, because very similar. I found so much professional um, development and continue to in um, supporting conferences and supporting other educators in their practices. Um, that's why I joined the LMME and I'm still part of their executive. That's why I recently launched the Vancouver Island Museum educators over here so that I could have that local network. Um, it's why I now work for the BCMA so that I can um, help learners learn. Um, but then I, I also, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I did my master's in museum education at UBC. You were one of my professors. And part of me signing up for that program was that I had been working in the sector for, I think, four years, three or four years. Um, I really enjoyed interpretation and informal education. I thought I was really good at it but I had no actual formal background to evaluate or to compare or to guide what I was doing. Uh, so I wanted that, that experience in my master's to learn what that um, pedagogy was that I was putting into practice. Uh, and that's, that's why I did my master's um, and found it so rewarding. But I, I, I mentioned to you earlier before we hit record, I recently went to a conference, the uh, Nova Scotia Museums Association conference, that was this October, um, where I wasn't putting on the conference. I was there to speak, but also to sit and listen. And it was so wonderful um, to sit there and learn and um, not think about whether or not the, the uh, coffee was going to be ready in time for the coffee break um, and not worrying about how the weather might impact the nature walk uh, afterwards and just actually be a participant and um, learn. So it was a good reminder for me to, to prioritize that for the years ahead. Um, do you have any do you have any thoughts on on that idea of that prioritizing our own learning as professionals? Yeah, and that's that's a great question. And as you were talking about your experience as a participant and uh, not having to worry about is the coffee ready, um, uh, I think that's a really important point. It reminded me of uh, the way I felt going through my PhD is I was given the gift of time. 
and that gift of time to think deeply about what I do as a museum educator. And, you know, it's really hard to do when you are kind of immersed in your day-to-day work uh, life because, you know, there's always something to do. There's always something that you need to attend to. So that idea of going to a conference or taking on some kind of professional learning opportunity is really uh, committing to keeping the outside world away as much as possible so you can actually focus and think think deeply because I think that's what professional learning really requires is deep thinking and I think that idea you know we're here we are at the beginning of the new year a great time for resolutions so I'm going to flip it back to you Lorenda now that you've had again this uh, reinforcing epiphany of you do need to take care of your professional learning what do you think you might do this year as a way of uh, continuing your professional learning Oh, wow. Flipping it back on me. Um, <laughs> I I actually um, volunteered to join the Canadian Museums Association Conference Planning Committee, which, again, does put me in that role of, you know, are we on schedule? Um, what's our room capacity looking like? But I do um, I do have the opportunity to attend the conference uh, that's coming up in April. And I'm really excited about that opportunity um, to be able to attend the sessions uh the schedule looks fantastic. It's a lot of really interesting um, conversations and, and discussions to be had. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, in April. And I have been toying with the idea of taking a course or two. Um, I know we're gonna we're gonna mention at the end of this podcast a few uh, opportunities that we know are available out there. Um, but I, I have been eyeing some. Uh, I think they're called micro courses now. Um, UBIC and UBC, I think both offer sort of micro courses where you can take a single course as opposed to a certificate. Um, and I know that the UBIC's cultural resource management program has um, some interesting ones. I might sign up for that. Those are, that's my, what I've been thinking about. Cool. Uh, the other thing that I've uh, kind of been doing a lot of and Uh, I'm trying to set aside time to do it. It's easy when I'm teaching because uh, my students ask me lots of questions and that again, always pushes my professional learning. Um, But the uh, Museum Education Roundtable, which is an organization out of the States has recently come out with a really great deal. So if you are a member of their organization, you can actually get a uh, online version that gives you access to both their journal and to the vis- visitor studies journals. And, you know, part of that um, reading about what's going on in our field, I think is a really good way to kind of push your professional learning and push your thinking about what you're doing. Um, you know, so reading an article a week as a way of kind of uh, helping you to think maybe differently and more deeply about aspects of your practice. And that's kind of a, a relatively easy uh, way to uh, push your professional learning. I love that. I will absolutely link that in the description of the podcast, which did also, um, that triggered a thought. Uh, I mean, it's it's through my job. Um, both Leah and I run a BCMA book club. Um, we started because we wanted to read the TRC, and felt that it would be better if we could hold ourselves accountable by making it into a book club. We've continued, um, right now we're reading the Indigenous Repatriation Handbook. Um, and I found that so wonderful to uh, meet together as a group every two weeks to talk about this book that we're reading that directly relates to my practice. Um, and we're, we're in the middle of, it, of this uh, 
the handbook right now. And then we're looking forward to what the next book will be. Um, and I don't see us stopping anytime soon. So that is, it is my job. Like I'm doing that for the BCMA, but I've been finding it really valuable. So um, sort of ties back into your, your topic of, of reading as a way to, to, to get yourself on track every week or every two weeks. Well, and the important part of that learned, I think, is you're looking at learning within a community. And if we go right. back to think about learning in informal settings, it is all around that social aspect as well. Right. And so, you know, if you can um, have a reading buddy, having some accountability, nothing like knowing that you need to meet to talk about a book uh, mm -hmm. to make sure you actually you know, read it or at least skim it mm -hmm. so you can have, you know, some intelligent conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way of uh ensuring some of that uh, ongoing learning. Um, now, there is something that I'm surprised you didn't mention, um, or maybe it doesn't seem that big to you. When we were working together with the Lower Mainland Museum Educators, you drafted a letter that we made available for um, emerging museum professionals and established professionals in the Lower Mainland to use um, with their supervisors to advocate for the time off to attend the sessions and conferences. And I think about that all the time when I think about professional development, because as much as we might want to um, attend these opportunities or these conferences or uh, take a course, um, like you said, it takes time uh, and it can be hard to find that time during your workout, um, your work schedule and, and the work that you're doing. And I think about that letter all the time and how you wanted to ensure we were advocating for learners and also um, trying to prioritize professional development as part of our industry. Uh, I, I must admit, Lorinda, I completely forgot about that. So, it, I mean, I think that it's an important, it's a great idea. Like you, you need to advocate with your your supervisors, everyone does, to make sure that you mm -hmm. get that time for professional development. So I think any way that, you know, those of us in the field can help support that, that's really important. Which does, I think, bring us to talking about this bursary, because that's about helping support professional development and learning, right? Definitely. Um, so what hopes do you have for this bursary? Well, at the... Kind of, again, as I uh, think back to what helped my professional learning, um, uh, it lots of it costs money. So, you know, how how can I as an individual help and hopefully maybe others will also add to this bursary? I think um, I was thinking for kind of two things. One is, is have a, a little bit of money to help support that professional learning. And then, you know, hopefully that will also uh, you know, in the eyes of organizations that individuals work in, that um, it might help elevate this their professional learning to show that an organization has is supporting them with some cash. And then I think the other part for me, my hopes for this bursary is to really uh, help uh, the broader museum field understand the importance of museum educators. And I think over, kind of thinking back over the 30 odd years I've worked as an educator, I do see this transition where the role of educator is much more prominent in organizations and much more important. And they see the value that educators bring into an organization. Um, and I think in some ways I'm hoping uh, that having a bursary 
specifically for museum educators to push their professional learning, I think helps to, I hope kind of um, adds to that uh, elevation of the profile of museum educators. Mm -hmm. I recently read the, the National Museum Policy as the um, policies for review and reading it, um, it was last updated in 1990 and reading it and mm -hmm. not seeing any um, acknowledgement of informal learning, informal educators of museum education. Um, there's lots of things about collections and curatorial and conservation, but the people aspect is so glaringly missing for me because I am an informal educator. And when I, when I look at, um, you know, if you wanted to like go on Etsy and buy a t-shirt that is like, I work at a museum, all of the stuff is uh, curatorial focus. Um, if you tell someone you work at a museum, most often people ask if I'm a curator. Um, I, but that's, that's, I think, tied into this, you know, museum education isn't always seen. Um, it has changed. It certainly has changed in the past 12 years that I've been working in this sector. And I'm sure, um, like you said, you know, it's, it's changed over the 30 years that you've been working in this sector. Um, but I am really excited that, that that is something you're hoping this bursary can do and can communicate because that's something I feel strongly about as well. Well, and I think having someone like you in your position uh, with that passion and background as a museum educator, I think is also critical because you will help to continue to broaden that conversation that uh, professional development is more than just helping curators or archivists and they need professional development as well. Uh, mm. But I think there are, uh, you're more likely to find existing uh, kind of financial support in kind of that curatorial world. I mean, mm -hmm. we need to keep care of our artifacts. That's really important. But yes. as you know, I think, uh, as you said, that 1990 document doesn't even consider us as professionals in many ways. So yeah. I think this will hopefully um, help continue that conversation. And can continue um, to encourage new generations of informal educators entering into the sector and advocating themselves for the existence of the work that we do. Yeah, and yeah. advocating for their own professional development. I mean, that is, yeah. it's really, as an individual, I, I believe it's your responsibility to push your professional development. Uh, you may have great help from supervisors and organizations, but really it, it's up to you to push that. We can draft the letter that advocates for you to get time off to attend professional development sessions, but you actually have to give it to your supervisor. <laughs> exactly. It can really go so far. Um, so that I, I would love to know if you have any suggestions on what this bursary could be used for. If folks are listening to this and thinking this is amazing, I would love to get um, some professional development for um, being an informal educator. Let's give them some ideas. Great, uh, great question. So uh, at top of my mind, uh, a mm. bit more of a broader under, or larger undertaking is the UBC Master of Museum Education program that you are uh, one of many who have now graduated from the program that's going into its eighth cohort. Uh, wow. So uh, I know it's amazing. Um, so it is 90% online, so you can do it from anywhere in the world. And we've had educators from all over the world participate. Um, and it's part-time, so you can continue to work as you go through. Mm -hmm. And the 
the speaking with the participants in the program sort of a little different than when you did it, Lorinda, which was in person, which I loved because you really had that chance to develop uh, stronger relationships with students. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, speaking with the students who are doing it part-time, they are using their workplace as their learning laboratory. So they're taking mm -hmm. what we talk about in class and they are trying things out and looking at how to change and improve their practice, which is really exciting. So that's uh, kind of uh, one option. Uh, UVic's Cultural Resource Management Program is another great option. They've got lots of great uh, programs focused on um, kind of uh, learning in informal settings and different ways that you can do that. And they, uh, so that's a great option. I've been looking recently uh, and thinking more about evaluation. Um, it's something that I think we all as educators do, but again, we may uh, benefit from a little more you know, theoretical understanding about uh, ways to do it differently. So the Canadian Elevation Evaluation Society is uh, one option. They've got courses there and conferences. I've gone to their conference that they do annually here in British Columbia, and it, it's always really interesting. And then the Visitor Studies Association is another uh, organization um, that does annual conferences. They also do uh, some workshops. Uh, so that would be another option. Uh, so those are those are a couple. Did you have some other options in mind? I did. Um, there's the Canadian Association of Science Communicators because I thought of our local group, the SciCat, um, mm -hmm. who support science communication. And the Canadian Association of Science Communicators have workshops as well as an annual conference um, that you could use as birth rates wards. There's also the Athabasca University, which has advanced issues in interpretive programming. Um, did you mention the Visitor Studies Association conference that's happening in St. Paul's, Minnesota for 2024? I did not mention that conference, but yeah, that's a great one to go to. Who, didn't, who wouldn't want to go to St. Paul's, Minnesota to explore visitor services and um, those learning opportunities? Um, and so many more. There, I, I uh, the BCMA, we have our annual conference, and we do have um, opportunities to help support the attending of that conference as well. But I, um, you know, there's the Canadian Museums Association conference. Every uh, every provincial museum association also has conferences and workshops that you could use this uh, bursary towards. Um, I think the list goes on and on. And I think that idea of maybe going to a different provinces conference uh, or even a, pro a conference out of, uh, you know, out of Canada, uh, if you can afford it, is a great idea because, again, it, it further broadens your uh, network with other educators and you get a chance to see how even other countries are thinking about some of the same ideas that you are working with in your practice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I had such a wonderful time in Nova Scotia, um, and a lot of it was because the, the way that they, uh, the way their museums work and are set up and their population and geography is so different from what we do here. Um, it was really interesting and I learned a lot um, in comparison from, uh, uh, you know, being here in BC for the past 12 years in this sector. Um, it was really, yeah, I, I wanna echo that, going out of province. I mean, attend our conference and our sessions and our webinars um, but also going out of province or out of country is a really fantastic opportunity to um, learn about how this is being done differently and learn from other people who share the same interests but are doing it in different places. 
I'm sure there are other opportunities out there for professional development, and I'm so excited to see this bursary used towards those. Um, but Lisa, I really want to thank you for joining me today to talk about um, the value and importance of professional development and the value of importance of informal education. Um, and thank you so much for being an advocate for professional development throughout my career and throughout many, many other people's careers. Um, I really can't wait to see where this bursary goes and what folks use it for. And I really hope that it sheds some positive light on professional development and informal educators. Lorenda, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I, I agree it's a really critical conversation for us to have as museum educators. I really look forward to seeing how this conversation and the bursary spark um, uh, museum ed educators to think about where they want to uh, find their next exciting professional learning opportunity. Mm, me too.